RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's Wednesday morning, time for our Legal Hub program here at Reality Check Radio. Katie Ashby-Coppins and Nick Kearney joining us to talk some of the legal cases out there at the moment. Um, Good to be back with you guys. Thanks very much, Paul. So lovely to have you back. Thank you. Got my voice back now. Morning, Kate. Good morning, Paul. Morning. G'day, Nick. Okay, let's start on this one. And I've heard you talking about this uh, on RCR, Katie, online censorship laws. Where do we start with this? Where do we start exactly right? So, first of all, um, a proposal has been uh, made by the Department of Internal Affairs to create a new regulator for the purposes of regulating all online content uh, from media, video, through to uh, broadcasting, um, virtually everything, and not to forget uh Uh, platforms such as social media platforms. So essentially everything is going to be looked after by a regulator who is going to work with industry, presumably the predominant players, to create codes. And that regulator can also determine who those codes apply uh, or apply to. over and above the ones that would it would automatically apply to by virtue of their size and their uh, membership or people on their uh, mailing list. So given those uh, codes will no doubt be resolved internationally for the large players who are based internationally, these codes here and the enforcement of it is really designed by, um, designed for I guess, the New Zealand players. And we know exactly who it's going to be targeting. Uh, It's going to be targeting Reality Check Radio. It's going to be targeting Voices for Freedom. It's going to be targeting all of those on the freedom movement that don't even need to satisfy the 100,000 criteria or 25,000 people on the mailing list because simply it is a case of um, the regulator having them in their sites and uh, therefore will be going after them by insisting that they comply with codes uh, and any breaches will be uh, investigated and enforced by none other than the the regulator. When when we talk about the Department of Internal Affairs, is there some bright spark genius in the Department of Internal Affairs who suddenly one day thinks, we have to do this, tells another bright spark in the Department of Internal Affairs who says, yeah, I think we do. Is that how that starts? Yes, Minister. Is that how it starts? Look, uh, there would have to be some reason for it. There might have to be the suggestion that, you know, politically something needs to happen in this area, that it's a genuine risk to the population of New Zealand that uh, a minister is concerned with. Uh, But in this case, it would seem that this is a pressure that is happening internationally with most uh, countries in the Western world. So where's the pressure uh, coming from? Where's the pressure coming? I'm just trying to work out the, you know, the, the chain here. Where's the pressure coming from if it's not coming from here? Nick? It's either coming in one of two ways. It's coming from uh, politicians and or essentially government, I suppose, saying we have to do something about this problem. Uh, you know, uh, or it's, it's kind of the other way from, uh, as Katie said, yes, minister tribe, uh, tri- uh, tribes, I suppose, yes, minister tights in, in the bureaucracy saying, minister, we have to do something about this problem. Uh, of course, you know, we can all debate as to whether, uh, well, we, we won't debate it here, but you know, the question is, is there really a problem? 
Um, but no, it can, it can no, it can really only come uh, one of one of those two two ways. And I'll also just things like this. I like to think of it this way that uh, we we know that government, you know, uh, bureaucrats and uh, public service employees uh, under this government have uh, increased thirty plus percent by, by, by thousands and thousands of thousands. So um, the, these people, you know, who sit in these government departments like DIA, if they don't start inventing some of this stuff and putting papers forward and, you know, um, showing their boss that they're useful, um, they haven't got a job, they haven't got any work. You know what I mean? So it's they've got to actually produce something of value to show their boss that, hey, I'm, I'm you know, I can... I've got a good idea. How about online censorship? Hey, look, what about this paper? And let's put this forward as a proposal or something like that. So, um, you know, as I say, without um, doing that, there's no there's no work for these people. So they have to keep generating this sort of stuff to keep themselves employed. Uh, and, um, you know, I, but I'm going back to what Katie said. I don't uh, I don't know how um, you know what the genesis of of this is. We talked about it last week, and I think the week before. Um, it's it's a major issue, uh, and in my view, Katie Katie is right. I think that if you're not going to be part of uh, the establishment and not going to be um, spreading the narrative that the you know the fine folk down there at Wellington want you to spread, you're going to be part of the enemy, and you're going to have to, and, and you're going to be you're going to be captured under these under these codes without question. Um, and the, I guess the other thing from a legal perspective, which I wanted to bring up, we talked about it briefly last week, was how does our, our Bill of Rights come into this? Um, uh, so the way that this kind of thing works uh, going through Parliament is that if a, if a law that is introduced, and this will undoubtedly infringe uh, a freedom of expression um, in, in the Bill of Rights, perhaps another freedom, um, mostly probably freedom of expression, if a bill uh, introduced to Parliament is said to be inconsistent with the rights and freedoms in the Bill of Rights Act, then the uh, Attorney General, I think it is, yeah, uh, has to um, submit a report, uh, prepare a report to Parliament uh, to say whether the bill is in fact consistent or not uh, to Parliament. And Parliament looks at that, and there's been a couple of instances in the past, I know even uh, a year or so back, David Parker, and I forget what law was being proposed, but David Parker, who was the Attorney General then, put uh, a report in saying this is inconsistent with our Bill of Rights, uh, and that's all he's required to do. And Parliament looks at it and goes, oh, that's not very good. Uh, but they vote on it anyway. And so, uh, you know, they, they can pa pass it anyway, even if it is inconsistent. So this kind of goes back to um, the topic we discussed last week, how do we entrench these rights you know, into uh, a constitution or into the country's um, framework so that, you know, uh, if these laws are being proposed, they, in fact, won't go anywhere near uh, Parliament or they won't even be passed if they are, in fact, inconsistent with the fundamental rights that we as a country decide we need to uphold. Um, at the moment, of course, we, you know, we don't do that. But we, pay kind of, we pay kind of lip, lip service to it. But, you know, I've always thought it's worthy of a, a, a very good discussion to try and entrench these rights rather than just, you know, give Parliament a report that says, hey, hey, look over here. Oh, yeah, look, not very nice. Uh, but then go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah, because it seems to me that, um, you know, the 
misinformation that's supposedly out there, I can never find it. Has anyone, you know, found this great well of misinformation that can, you know, so warp our thinking? I can't find it. Well, let's be honest, the mis- and disinformation is really anything that goes against the government narrative. I agree, because I, I, I struggle with, well, I know that, that, that Project and others have given it a, a definition. I, don't, I haven't really looked at the definition. I don't really care about it, um, to be honest. But um, from my perspective, the internet is so vast. I mean, so vast, you can't even comprehend how big the internet is, platforms is. Websites, Substacks, Twitters, you know, um, Facebook, uh, other blogs, uh, blah blah blah. There's so, I mean, the co- content is, is is so. There's so much content. How you could possibly pass a law to say or to have some code to say that we're going to weed it all out and we're going to make sure that stuff that's produced on the internet by content providers is not misinformation or is not false or is not disinformation or whatever, how you can possibly do it, it, well, it's impossible. You can't do it. Uh, it, So um, then you've got to come back to say, well, then if you can't do it, what's the purpose of passing the law? Okay, what's the purpose of having the code? And that's when you start to go into, I, I think, a few rabbit holes and get into sort of, you know, suspicious territory and start to, become a little bit, uh, you know, I guess the word is um, mm, sceptical of, of the motives, I suppose. Mm. And the regulation yeah. <laughs> is worded in a way that the definitions are purely subjective. Uh, having just completed similar um, submissions over here in America, sorry, in Australia for the uh, Miss Disinformation Act, uh, what well, legislation that is very close to being passed, uh, and the new regulator uh, established called ACMA, uh, the definition and the uh, of mis and disinformation is so loose, so subjective. It will simply allow the ACMA regulator to uh, determine uh, what it's uh, upset by uh, and and who it's going to prosecute. Hmm. So it's it's a fundamental. This is an attack. It is this an attack is, on free speech. Yeah, and and it's it's elevating it to a war actually. And you must remember that those were the very uh, same words that were used before the UN by our former Prime Minister and less, uh, less than a year ago. Well, I don't want to be repeat, repeating her words, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of escalating. It's the found that, that was laying, that's called laying the foundations, Paul. Uh, yeah. And those foundations were being clearly laid with the wording that was used in that. Well, she, that that was her declaration of war. That was her declaration of war on free speech. And let's not forget, censorship is the tool used when the lie loses its power. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so the other thing is, uh, you know, as Katie just said, the regulator, you know, is going to have the power to say, I take down orders, fines, that's misinformation, that's harmful, that's whatever, done, finished, end of end of quote, end of story, I should say. There's going to be little little opportunity, and we just you know, kind of went into this a bit last week, there's going to be little opportunity for uh, people who have had their content removed or have been held to be misinformation spreaders or whatever to be able to prove otherwise. 
Sure. I mean, you know, you've got a uh, similar regime, I think, to the um, BSA or the ASA or something like that. But, you know, if you start to go down that track and say, actually, what I wrote here and what I put up or my content was not hopeful or harmful, it was not misinformation or whatever, you know, that, that result won't come out for a year later. And by that stage, you know, um, the, the effect of, of, of the takedown has, has already happened. So, you know, you can you can battle or the content provider can battle on and take someone to, you know, to uh, a forum and say, oh, actually, you approved right that there's nothing wrong with what you wrote, but no one's going to care nine months down the track. And if, and if you remember, the other thing is, and where this kind of just sparks similarity, is we have um, the, uh, what's the, the, Films, videos, and publications act, or something that we have here. Well, we have a, uh, you know, a regulator for that. And if you want to import, I think uh, DVDs and and even films have to go through that person, who decides whether it is uh, it should be censored or not shown. Simple as that. Uh, and I, I don't know under what you know um, what um, guidelines they use or you know how they decide whether something is harmful or shouldn't be shown in New Zealand or at the movies or on a DVD or I, don't, I just don't know enough about it but it's the same it's exactly the same principle they just decide into story right and it's not up to people to look at it and say actually I don't want to watch this this is wrong or actually I do want to watch this because I want to learn something from this uh, and I think a good example of that and and Censorship is, you know, as Katie said, it's, it's. Um, I like to quote about what the liars use when they lose their power or something. It's a good way of putting it. But mm. I've, I, you know, I've had a lot of debates with people since the Christchurch mosque attack um, about whether, uh, you know, Tarrant Manifesto should be out there for everybody to read and see. And and I strongly believe it should be. And, I agree. And I almost believe it should be taught in schools. It should be shown in schools. So why would it be why would it be censored or banned? Because there's really only two answers to that. Either it is, you know, a thought virus creating, or there's stuff in there. If you join dots from it, might raise further questions. I, I mean, there's got to be an answer to why it's yeah, not yeah, available. Yeah. Um, and, and, or, or a third answer is a combination of one and two. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think both. What are they and, hiding? What's being hidden? But yeah, what's being hidden. But but how can you possibly into the future? How how you know that a month or a year after that happened, how could you teach an eight or ten or eleven or twelve year old boy or girl? Uh, can we say boy and girl now? Oh, we can't. Can we? Yeah. You can't hear. Anyway, how can we teach them possibly that you know what he wrote here was wrong? What, how he behaved was wrong, and the video was taken down. You couldn't even show his online video um, a week after that was. In fact, if you did, you went to jail, I think, it was banned instantly. So how can you teach people uh, history, and that is history, if the history is not available? Well, you can't. Uh, yeah, well, that's right. And, and, you know, and the whole purpose of teaching people history is to learn from it so we don't make the same mistakes in the future, right? That's one of the... Big learnings from history. So I have I have a huge problem with this sort of stuff, uh, to be fair, in terms of w where society is going, you know, um, as a whole. Um, in the case of um, online censorship laws, I mean, obviously they'll be coming for us 
There's no question. In fact, we're probably now one of their main reasons for doing this because well, they know that. Yeah, let's put that into context. They've just spent uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer um, uh, paid government propaganda and uh, in, in do various documentaries um, that are floating around online and have been um, published. Yeah. And, 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 and in the same vein, uh, Bob McCrossquay of Family First um, put a very, very reasonable ad in the in four national newspapers. Uh, there was nothing provocative, harmful, hateful, or disgusting. And in fact, it was very um, lame, if you want to call it that. Uh, and they all just refused to publish it. Around, now, around why would that? Why would that be? Describing or pointing them readers to a documentary called "What Is a Woman." That's all it did. It had a photo of a of a mother and a daughter giving each other a hug. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, you've seen it. And, and the state, you know, the media. I mean, uh, I guess it's not the state media, but they're meant to be private businesses. Banned it. No, refused to to run the ad. Uh, and Katie's right. On the other hand, you've got the state media putting together this undercurrent documentary three months out from an election to to um, spread a certain narrative across the electorate. In it support seems, of their laws. It yeah. seems to me that we have a really bad problem here, Houston. So what do we do? First thing we have to do is we have to encourage listeners again by the 31st, they've got six days, to, uh, and you can find the link on, on the website. I believe that right, Katie, the VFF website? You absolutely yep. can, but I have yep. them here at my fingertips when you're done. Good. To go in and submit to the DIA uh, on these proposals, um, yep. and, and you know, you can, I'm not going to tell listeners um, <laughs> what they should submit. I'm sure they're wise enough for themselves. Yep. But submit, submit against the proposals. Oh, I just said against. But put your submission in and make sure that the DIA has heard us. That's the, that's that's the start, at least. Yeah, but yeah. sorry, but that ain't going to do it. There is uh, something to be said for uh, power and numbers, and certainly um, this point in time, out from an election, um, the power and numbers could be very persuasive to any incoming government uh, should they wish to consider uh, the number and volume, and we've seen that in recent periods. Uh, so sorry, a change of government course. is a necessary part of this, is what you're saying? To the type of government that will be prepared to drop these kinds of laws. And it's I'm just that they never seem to, to give up, no matter what, these days. Oh, they don't really give up on power that they've been granted, because why would you give that away? Power yeah. is never, power well, is never given, it's always taken. Yeah, well, they're not being granted it, they're just taking it, they're just snatching it. Okay. And most of yeah, well, that's a point. Most of the population is asleep at the wheel. They have no idea. But they are starting to talk about things things a lot more. Uh, I think people are genuinely concerned. Something doesn't seem right. Their gut instincts are, are well, you know, their spidey senses are screaming. And, you know, it's just going to be a case to keep these conversations going, let people know what's going to happen, what the effect might be. There was few throwaway comments in the DIA document saying, oh, don't worry, the majority of New Zealanders won't be affected by these laws. Well, how will they know? Because the censorship is going to be that the uh, information that they might have been looking for might no longer be available or have been re rewritten. 
I totally accept that you've got to do everything you can to push back, but well, let's see what happens. <laughs> You're yeah, doing God's work, though. I mean, <laughs> at, no at, this stage, at, at this stage, you know, you take it in stages. That's, that's all we can do. Is This is stage one, submission to due on the 31st of July. So please, everybody, you know, jump on the website, submit, get your voice heard, get, get your point in. And then well, the we... fact that you've only got till the 31st of July for something wow. so massively so changing though kind of corralling people quickly into a space where it takes time to get organized. Even that reeks of something, I think. This, no, no, it, fair, fair point. Yeah, I agree. And not only that, I mean, um, if it were, this is a, this is the cornerstone of any, you know, free and democratic country is, is stuff like this, uh, censorship, freedom of speech and what have you. And, uh, have you seen any full-page ads in the newspapers from the DIA saying, hey, this is what we're doing, jump on and submit? Have you seen? No. Uh, have they gone around the country and ha held meetings in public halls? You know, we've got an election year this year. They could have easily just run in, you know, some sort of referendum or something with the election and put some information in the ballot paper or they could have run some sort of thing in the, you know, during the election campaign. You're right. No, none of that stuff has gone on. Um, it, it's and, and you know it's 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 only for people who actually take an interest in some of this stuff, which is obviously the three of us and all our listeners, that um, you know that people now actually know, and I've talked about my friends, you know, talked to my friends about it. Um, what's what's going on? I, I I would I would agree that you know ninety five percent of the population have no idea. The DIA uh, at, at the webinar um, I, I went to uh, did say that you know will be years away from um, this, you know, actually being implemented. It's going to require cross-border international, you know, cooperation and whatever. So it's not going to be easy. And, uh, you know, the fight has to be taken on at every opportunity. And this is the first um, stage of the fight, I suppose. Well, it's already far, far further implemented in other countries and yeah, I, far I further believe. down the track. And that's, just bull that's just BS from that, whoever told you that. And it's going to be here. The codes are already being well drafted. I think it's Netscape um, or NetSafe is the group that's already produced a large set of codes, which selectively, well, conveniently cover. Well, they're seems a government, quasi-government organisation anyway, aren't they? That's correct. And so how do they have any credibility whatsoever? That's exactly right. That's what I'm saying is that yeah. the legwork already seems to be done. Yeah. So, so I didn't know that, Katie. So you're saying that before submissions have even been received and submissions have closed off, uh, the draft codes are already well well underway in terms of being written. Yes, that's correct. And I could give you more details on uh, those. Just a just performative a act is what it is. Yeah. It, it, yeah it's exactly right. It's it's nothing but... but um, hmm. Exactly that. Sorry, I just want to put a pause in there and I can get you the exact information so I'm not just giving you a... a, a well, okay, you can work on that. Anything else to say, Nick? Any other points to make while Katie's looking that up? No, not at all. Just like, like I'll say again for the third time, 31st of July, jump on the DIA website, submit, tell them they're a pack of idiots, and, uh, and, and that's about, at the moment, all we can do. Uh, so we do already have a document that's been uh, largely produced. Uh, it's called the Aotearoa New Zealand Code of Practice for Online Safety and Harms. Safety, harm, there are those words, okay. Uh, it's got an appointed interim director called Carrie Stoddart-Smith. Do we know who that person is? Uh, 
uh, we can certainly find. Will it? Will she have the predictable background? Do you think? It would seem that she does, and looks like she uh, may have had a significant amount of consultancy fees, perhaps to do the ah, job. Here we go. I don't. Yeah. And look, we're these the, are we're in the wrong business. These are governance frameworks. They've got a code. They're touching on all of the same. Um, Topics, most of which would probably be objectionable behaviour, or sorry, objectionable conduct, which could already be subject to a takedown order based on uh, the current laws that we have. So we've got uh, child sex uh, exploitation, cyberbullying and harassment, hate speech, incitement of violence, violent or graphic content, and uh, our two favourites, mis and disinformation. So they're already I mean, co- that's already covered most of it, anyway, right? In this code, uh, and the executive summary is very telling. Uh, The code is unique in that it provides a governance framework that aims to enable administrator, a multitude of relevant stakeholders, as well as the public, to hold signatories to their commitments. Who are the relevant stakeholders then? (laughs) Presumably the platforms. Platforms, yeah, the content providers and platforms. Oh, okay. Uh, At this stage, it's voluntary. Uh, with digital platforms who become signatories commit to being held accountable. And for this purpose, the code introduces oversight powers to the administrator and a multi-stakeholder oversight committee. Okay, so they're all written up already. So before anyone's made any any submissions have been looked at, that's all been written up. Correct. And it's available uh, online, uh, under the code-nztech.org.nz, 25th of July, 2022. Okay. Well, and coincidentally, and I'm not sure if it is a conflict, but the same NetSafe, I think, were responsible for producing the report with the DIA, uh, which is the one that suggests uh, and has conducted the survey of uh, all the reasons why we need to have these new laws. So basically, they've written a job description for themselves. Well, they've conducted the survey, which goes to suggest what are all the things that they need um, to protect us from, which is very kind, uh, but just gives us no self-responsibility whatsoever and uh, seems to ignore the fact that we can utilise a uh, power button or switch the, the switch the thing off. Yeah, because this is the assumption that we're all so moronic that we can be captured by any idea or anything that anyone says instantaneously. Great. Hmm. Wow. Anything more to say about this before we move on to the next item of business? No, I would just encourage everybody to uh, see how easy it is to make a submission. There is power in numbers. Uh, it does get reported, uh, and it is there you know, as a matter of record to see how many people uh, wrote in to give submissions on it. So it's www.defendfreespeech.co.nz or www.defendfreespeech, all one word, .co.nz. And I encourage you all to go and see how easy it is. Make a submission. Uh, it can be as brief uh, or as detailed as you like, uh, but we are on all, we are all in this together. This They are coming for us, all yeah. of us. You're absolutely right. And thanks for doing that work, Katie. Thank you. All right. <laughs> what do we look at next? Debanking. Um, this is really fascinating. 
even though we're watching it from the other side of the world. Uh, the Coots, though NatWest, I think, is the um, the parent company, the Coots treatment of Nigel Farage, they picked on the wrong guy, essentially, right? Yeah. It's a pretty incredible um Pretty incredible story, this one. Not just the fact that he was debanked, uh, but also when the report was called for to see the basis or the grounds for debanking him wasn't based on any illegal activity, no breaches of regulations, uh, but really a breach of um, virtues or cultural um, imperatives of the bank. So just incredible Absolutely incredible. They haven't even tried to give it good reasons for debanking him. Yeah, because it's not about the money, as it turns out, right? It's got nothing to do with the money. Though I think initially there were rumours, and there seems to have been um, some uh, loose talk, um, from what I've seen anyway, between a certain BBC journalist and um, economics uh, reporter and the head of the bank, um, which was along the lines of you don't have enough money in your account. That was the initial thing, but that turned out to be wrong. I think the BBC might have even apologised to him now, which is un- unprecedented. So it's they've been scraping his social media, and it turns out that um, the whole thing was based on one or two things he'd said or done over the time. Have, have I got that right? Correct. It seems that his PEP state status, which is one that um, Nick's touched on before, but, you know, a person, um, what is it? Publicly exposed, exposed person. Yes. And so that had even been downgraded. Uh, he had a mortgage that was coming to a close and was going to be shortly completed. No breaches of um, his responsibilities to his bank as a lending institution or a, a banking institution. Uh, and no illegal activity, wrongdoing, or regulatory censor. And that was specifically stated in this 40-page report. But instead, what they did find, oh, this is just absolutely cancer culture gone mad. He's a controversial figure. He projects racism, xenophobic views. He's made slights against the Black Lives Matter uh, community. He's a climate denier. Uh, and he, they're going to have a team that will undertake monthly checks of the media to see how um, offensive uh, Mr. Farage has been. Oh, dear. What do you say to that? What does anyone say to that? Well, I mean, we sit here and we might go, goodness, how bad is this? But we just talked about, you know, um, a previous topic was all about uh, censorship and basically being cancelled for things that you um, want to be able to say. And this is a real life example of somebody who, um, you know, kind of says what he thinks and has different views to the establishment, and they've just tried to shut him down. Sorry, you're done, right? And and this is this is where uh, this is where it's going if we're not if we're not careful. Um, um, and I fear that probably the Rubicon might have already been crossed. To be honest, uh, the good the good thing about um, and, and there is a shining light in this. But the good thing about it is that both uh, main parties in the UK Parliament, uh, the Tories, the Conservatives and the Labour Party, uh, came out and said it was completely unacceptable. Um, uh, I think one of the Labour MPs, Grant Shapps, I'm reading here, um, and it says here, who has clashed bitterly with Mr Farage uh, previously, said it was an absolute disgrace. 
Uh, Labor MPs, other MPs have also broken cover to voice disquiet. Uh, Rishi Sunak, uh, you know, the, the current Prime Minister, um, uh, you know, he, he's spoken out against it too. So that's quite encouraging, but, um, you know, I guess words can be cheap. They have to follow it through with actions, don't they? Mm. Another form of censorship. It, it, it is, and, and Katie's right. That discussion we had on this a couple of programs back about him being a politically exposed person, uh, a load of rubbish. In fact, what uh, what they were more concerned about were his. Um, he shared a um, he shared a tweet that uh, Ricky uh, was was a joke uh, made by Ricky Gervais, you know, from the Office fame, um, and the joke was something like, "Oh." Um, um, uh, old-fashioned woman, you know, the ones with wounds. Yeah, I think I've heard that one before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, that's, okay, yeah, it's understandable why that's a little bit funny. Faraj uh, retweeted it uh, with a phrase or, or wording something along the lines of, wow, this is this is funny, this is brilliant, well done, etc. Um, and the document by the bank described that from Mr. Faraj, not a Faraj, as a transphobic comedy sketch. You know, so, uh, and of course, they, you know, they um, were critical of his association with Novak Djokovic, who, of course, famously, as we all know, stood his ground on the COVID vaccine and got chucked out of Australia as a result. I so, thought it was because he'd won a lot of um, tennis games. No, that's not how you succeed these days. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, irrelevant now. <laughs> it's irrelevant now, yeah. Um so yeah, he t- he took his side. He's friendly with him, um, and what have you. And you know, um, three hundred and thirty-one year old bank, three hundred and thirty-one year old bank, uh, you're done because of these political views that you hold. Apparently, that they bank the king. So should the king carry on banking with coots in the face of this? And if he does, what does it say about the king? King Charles. Yeah. Oh God. Um. I, yeah, I, I've not heard. I mean, the king wouldn't make any comments on this. I wouldn't have thought. Um, it's not really. He's made plenty of comments on other no, matters has, like climate and things like that. That's true. He has. Yeah. Um, so this is a very interesting story. This whole thing, uh, really, I, and I think it's it's rapidly as I can follow it as best as I can. In my view, it's rapidly um, uh, unwinding on Coots Bank quite badly. But surely uh, it needs to result in a in some sort of human rights law that that makes a bank account a right because without a bank account in this modern monetary system um you're not going to be able to operate or do anything so yeah you know you can sit there and complain about being debanked but it's all over for you if you are correct yeah i mean that's a fair point actually because uh, you know the the relationship between a bank and its customer there's really only one of contract and um, you know, you enter into a contract with a bank to put your money in the bank and the bank says, yep, you can do that. And, you know, we'll pay you this interest and we'll use your money and lend it out to people buying houses and other bits and pieces. Um, can you have a credit card? Yep. But these are the terms of the credit card. And so um, yeah, I, I guess in, in one instance, if you're a contract purist, a bank can say, actually, we're canceling our contract with you. We don't, you know, we're allowed to do that. There's nothing, uh, to stop us doing that, you've not really suffered any loss. Because look, there's 27 other banks over here you can go and put your money with. 
Um, but of course, a lot of them have come jumped on board as well. Yeah, they're all going to be doing it. Yeah, yeah. Nigel, you're not welcome here either. So perhaps, perhaps uh, it does require some legislative change. Well, governments would have to operate some sort of banking system, so they're the bank of last resort in the end. Like we've got Kiwi Bank here, mind yeah. you. Look who the Kiwi Bank. Young New Zealander of the year, so you can't rely on them. They're completely gone. But it, it need, there needs to be some solid vehicle of banking available to everybody should they be debanked, surely, as a right. At the rate well, we're well, going, it might be your uh, your cash stuffed in your mattress. Yeah, but no well, one will accept cash. Well, look, in New Zealand, Paul, we have a state-owned bank called Kiwi Bank, so maybe... That's Maybe what I just mentioned. Of, I yeah. just mentioned them. Yeah. 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 So one of the solutions perhaps is, is just to say, well, if that happens to you, Kiwi Bank will have you. But, then, yeah, but they have to swallow a, a dead rat on that because look who the young New Zealander of the year is. Yeah, sure. But then one of the other options is that if you've got, you know, um, banks don't, you know, it's difficult to find decent competition amongst banks, really. They all kind of charge the same on their mortgage loans and, and what have you, there's not much difference between some of the other aspects of them. So if you're stuck with one bank and really can't go anywhere else, you're um, you know, you're 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 pretty stuck, aren't you? You can't really without without the availability of choice in any economic system, you're at the whim of um of the provider, of any provider. Yeah, but at least you'd have ways of doing transactions. You can actually go and buy food and yes. pay your power bill yes. and things like that. Yes. Which is kind of required for everyday living. And for those who want to go um, and have you know, been under a rock for the last week, if they want to go and uh, search this on the internet, I guess if you just put in uh, Coots dossier on on Farage, it'll come up. Um, you know, forty something. They had a forty something page dossier on him, right? I mean, it's it's incredible that the banks are sitting around at, at executive level producing. 40-page documents on some of their high-profile customers. Anyway, yeah, I think that's all outsourced information, though. There's an agency that does that. Oh, fair enough, yeah. yeah. So the assessment says Mr. Farage has been professional in his relations with the bank, but adds of his public views, his remarks are distasteful and appear increasingly out of touch with wider society. At one point, the dossier records that Mr. Farage is, and I quote, at best seen as xenophobic, and pandering to racists, and at worst, he is xenophobic and racist. He is considered by many to be disingenuous, a, a disingenuous grifter, the dossier adds. Now, that's all well and good, and these people are outsourcing and they're you know, um, making these comments about one of their customers and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. You think, like, you think I'm that? Well, that, I don't really care. You know, that could be one way you you kind of t um, approach it, I suppose. Um, but the scary thing is, is that because of that, the bank says, sorry, you, you, we don't want you as, you know, he's been with a bank for 30 plus years. You're not having, you're not having your money with us. Uh, and, and in fact, if you go somewhere else, well, good luck with that because the other nine won't have you either. That's right. And what, what, what's, what say you just didn't like? Uh, anything, you know, what, what say you, you know, um, you know, you, what say they didn't like the choice of clothes that you wore. Yeah, we don't alcohol, like your, your flared jeans. The alcohol that you drank or the fact that, and in fact, you, you, you're a chain smoker and you're unhealthy and 
or whatever, or, you know, what say, oh, yeah, how nose is too that? big. We found out last week you were convicted of pinching a girl's bum at the bar. We don't want you. I mean, what, you know what I mean? It's like, we, well, it's getting it? to that, isn't it? It's yeah, getting to yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and the, scare, the other, you know, natural extension of all of this um, is uh, if you followed what China's been doing with its um, social score system over 10 years, and it's just coming into the Western world very rapidly, I must say and will arrive with the advent of digital currency, this is how banks are going to control your life. Yeah, and the xenophobia that they speak about is him criticising the um, open border across the channel where people just pour in on rubber dinghies, fighting aged young men from Northern Africa. And, you know, that's that's a legitimate issue to have doesn't mean you're xenophobic. It just means that you think that it's important to have a border if you're a nation state. Just saying. So it doesn't happen to us. And um, the final thing we're looking at, and we've talked kind of in this area before, inconsistent decisions of the New Zealand Teachers Disciplinary Tribunal. And I'm thinking back to the poor guy in uh, with the, the Christian teacher who got trans thing again, booted out by of teaching by the um, disciplinary uh, tribunal, the teacher's disciplinary tribunal, seemed very, very disproportionately tough on the poor teacher. So what's so we remember that one. Is there more? I can probably touch on this one. Yes, there is. There's another decision uh, from a probably a separate uh, board, and those boards are um, uh, disciplinary tribunals, I should say, and they are usually made up of a couple of teachers uh, and a lawyer uh, when it comes to the teaching profession. Oh, oh so I got it wrong. Is it, was it the teaching council that we were talking about last time, was it? No, it's exactly the same tribunal. Oh, uh, same sorry, it's exa- okay. exactly the same right, investigatory gotcha. um, tribunal, uh, but the members or the officials sitting on that tribunal Not the same often individuals. change. They'll yeah, yeah. often be, this, uh, be different. Gotcha. Uh, and in this case, they have uh, decided that a teacher who uh, committed fraud regularly for a significant period of time, uh, which saw the twenty, the theft of twenty thousand dollars as a consequence of uh, invoices that she created to pay herself, but money that was due uh, to, I think, her teaching um, organisation where she worked. Uh, was not misconduct unbecoming, um, and she was allowed to maintain and retain her uh, practicing certificate as a teacher, uh, so retain her registration. And uh, she has not, um, I don't think she was even convicted. So how can that be? How can that be indeed, Paul? Inconsistent is the word. (laughs) Not even in the same fields or, or, or realms. How could you? I know the different people making these decisions, but there has to be some consistency, surely, um, across cases. How could you not interpret well? What is criminal activity fraud as um, conduct that uh, is becoming of a teacher? Essentially, exactly is what they're right. saying. That's exactly right. And yet. A, 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 another teacher who's just said something. <laughs> That's all they did. They say something and their career is trashed for life. Said something and wouldn't conform to um, the 
requirements to the struggle session. Yeah. It it beggars belief. It doesn't even beggar belief. It just, you know, again makes the law impossible to apply. Would there be any comeback for the the teacher who who got kicked out of the profession based on a ruling like the one you've just told us about? I'm not sure that it operates on the basis of um, previous decisions having um, precedential value, uh, but you would certainly say, you know, come on, if this is the bar, it's pretty low or pretty high, whichever way your bar is. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say what the teaching council would have done had the teacher been convicted because the court discharged her without conviction. Um $20,000, you know, she. I think she had no previous convictions and so, you know, um, would be a blight on her life going forward and what have you. So the, the court, the judge discharged her without, without conviction. Um, so therefore she hasn't got a conviction. Now, I, I, the teaching council in the teaching industry has a code by which, you know, all teachers must abide by and that's where I think that uh, that teacher who lost their job uh, basically fell foul of because the code has got a lot of student rights in it and what have you, and you know she didn't or he didn't uh, you know, obey the students' rights or follow or uphold the students' rights. I suggest or I suppose which were to be called whatever the, he or she wanted to be called. Um, I don't know if the code says you know uh, if you're convicted of a, of a of a crime of more than one year in prison or something, then um, then. You know, you you can't be a teacher. Uh, I don't know, but I guess it's academic because she was not she was not convicted. She was uh, discharged without conviction. Um, right. Yeah. The school is still twenty thousand dollars down. I just reading the case. She she um, the, the judge's comments uh, in, in the district court were that she um, you know was suffering uh, severe you know financial problems and what have you, and that's. Probably true. I don't know. There's, there's no um, nothing to say. That's not that's not the case, or it wasn't the case. Um, and I don't think she was ordered to pay reparation. I'm not sure. She probably can't can't pay it back. Uh, but yeah, essentially, a, a school of, of which she teaches at, you know, um, which you know, goodness gracious, I mean, schools haven't got enough money as it is, and, and now they're twenty thousand dollars down, and um, and she admitted the offence and um, and can carry on be, being a teacher. I, I, yeah, it's, it, it's and yet this other teacher uh, who who stood up for his own strong beliefs and his principles. And, yeah, <laughs> isn't it funny? You know, one of the principles in, in life is you shouldn't steal money, right, it's, or, or someone else's property. You do that, I oh, know you can still teach. Another principle is that, well, I, you know, I believe in this, that, and everything else. So you can't, you can't believe in that. You can't stand up for that and believe in that and then be a teacher. Oh, God, you're off. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, yeah. no one wants to see someone lose their job or have their life completely devastated for making a stupid mistake, let's say. But it, it does focus um, what happened to the other poor chap. This also isn't one-off conduct. And, and and just going back to the point that uh, um, was made about that teachers do have a code of conduct, the first code is commitment to the teaching profession. and 
that is to maintain public trust and confidence in the teaching profession by demonstrating a commitment to providing high quality and effective teaching, engaging in professional, respectful and collaborative relationships with colleagues, dem demonstrating a high standard of professional behaviour and integrity, demonstrating a commitment to uh, Tangata Whenua principles and contributing to a professional culture that supports and upholds the code. Okay. <laughs> Number one. Yeah, sort of failed all those tests, really. Yeah, pretty well. Okay. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's um, we're living in a we're living in a clown world, is what we're doing, mm -hmm. aren't we? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it hasn't for a while, but you know, um, how, can, how can you uh, reconcile? Uh, how can you reconcile? Uh, and I'll go back to him, Billy Tikahika, um, going to jail for organising a protest uh, when this uh, Auckland shooter last week virtually broke his girlfriend's neck and strangled her, and you know, beat her up, and uh, you know, he was convicted um, of assault with intent to injure, and he, he just gets an ankle bracelet and gets to go to work. So how do we explain that? Well, how can you? I, I, you, you can't. You can't. Can't explain it. Can't oh dear. Explain it. Okay. Well, have we got anything more to say about any of these cases before we wind up this week's legal hub, <laughs> which is full of great, uh, inspiring stories this week? <laughs> Not. No, all I can say is go ahead and complete your online submissions about the online censorship laws. Yeah, uh, It is very important. Have your say. It is the chance to have your say uh, before you might not be able to have your say. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Okay. I don't think we can top that. All right. So there's no. another legal hub uh, for Wednesday morning at RCR. Thank you, Katie, Ashby, Coppins, and Nick Kearney. We'll do it again next Wednesday. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Nick. Have a, have a good day, guys. Have a RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.